43-49, Luke chapter 6, verses 43-49. through 49. If you do not have a copy of God's Word and you would like one, slip up your hand. If you do not own one and you would like one, uh, this one's on the house. So please, just go ahead and take that home um, and read it and reread it and read it some more. Um, Please forgive me this morning if I sound a little nasally or stuffed up. I feel like this cold is now just draining out of me. But um, today we're in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 49. And what we're seeing is the finish of Jesus' sermon. Um, Some people call this sermon the Sermon on the Plain or it's the abbreviated version of the Sermon on the Mount. And the way we see Jesus finish his sermon is in two ways. What he is doing first is he is calling for his listeners to respond to his teaching in obedience. He's calling them to bear and produce good fruit. But secondly, we see Jesus laying out a decision before his listeners. A decision that will impact them for their eternity. He calls them to build a house. Some people will build the house on, a, on the sinking sand. But what he's doing is he's calling his listeners to build their house on a solid foundation. On the rock. Starting in verse 43, our passage says this. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray. Father, would you illuminate your word to us this morning? We know that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so this morning, I ask that you would pierce us to the core with your sword, that we would hear the words of Jesus and we would respond to the words of Jesus out of the depths of our heart because you are softening it. Oh, Father, would you please comfort And even convict your children where they need comfort and conviction. Would you illuminate your word and would you soften the hearts of those people that do not know you yet? 
Would you continue to work in the ones who do not know you but show up week after week? Father, we know that your word, if we are truly eating it and devouring it, will produce good fruit. So I ask today that you would soften our hearts and open our ears to what your word has to say. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a child, and I'm assuming that when you were children, when your parents told you to do chores, you probably did them. However, if, if you're like me in any type of way, there came a time when you started asking the why question. Well, why do I need to take the garbage five feet to the curb? Now, some parents probably sat down and explained their child, this is why we, we do this. But if you had parents like mine, it was just because I'm your dad or mom, and that's what you're going to do, because I told you so. And I'm assuming that if you're like me in any type of way, you don't really uh, uh, see chores as a delight. It's more of, of a duty. Well, actually, I really don't know anybody that after a long day at work or school loves to go home and, and say, you know, I just can't wait to wash the dishes. But why do we do chores? And I'm not talking about the surface level. Well, if I don't do them, then my dishes will be stacked up or, or my house will be messy. Then I'm asking, why do we do chores? Well, if we really got down to it, the, the answer that we most likely would have to say, right? This, this would most likely be the answer that we would have to say. So I, I really don't know why we do chores, I've just always been taught to do them, and so I just do them. Maybe that illustration falls flat. Here's another one for you. It's, it's, we get the picture of, of a husband and wife whose, whose marriage is kind of in turmoil. The husband continues to tell his wife, no, I love you every morning. He says, I love you every night. He says, I love you, but he never actually shows it. It's the, the, the scene in the the movie where then the husband begrudgingly takes his wife out on a date. And the wife rightfully so says, no, I don't want you to take me out because I want you to take me out. I want you to take me out because you want to take me out. You see, our human nature our natural human tendency is to settle with being religiously driven. Settle with being duty driven. Or settle with being just all talk and no action. But what Jesus is calling his listeners to this morning is to respond to his sermon in obedience by the decision they have made. So we come to verses 43 through 45. And Jesus says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. 
We see Jesus kind of talking about a tree and its fruit. Well, why? Well, he's, he's pointing out the very obvious. A, a good tree does not bear bad fruit, and a bad tree does not bear good fruit. It would be insane to say that a cat produces a dog or a dog produces a cat. Jesus is saying you do not pick apples off of orange trees, nor do you pick oranges off of apple trees. You just won't see that, just like you won't see a good tree bearing bad fruit or a bad tree bearing good fruit. Edible fruit that is produced from a disease-stricken tree should not be eaten. If you don't know that this morning, let me just tell you, uh, you should not eat fruit from a diseased tree. This is what Jesus is drawing out of his listeners. And so to finish up his sermon here, he is calling his listeners to bear good fruit. He's pulling them back to verses 20 through 23, saying, produce good fruit, be a blessed person. In verses 27 through 36, he's calling them, okay, love your enemies now. In verses 37 through 43, Two, he's calling them to properly judge his enemies. Jesus is calling his listeners, okay, you've just heard my teaching. So now let's bear good fruit from this. So we continue on. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, Jesus is going on telling his listeners where this fruit is produced. Good fruit and bad fruit is produced by what you treasure. The, the root ultimately produces the fruit because the root gets the nutrients to allow everything else a part of the tree to properly function. And so if you're, you're wanting to produce good fruit, then what do you do? Well, you look at the root. Jesus is asking, do you treasure good? If you want to produce good fruit, then treasure good. If you produce bad fruit, then treasure bad. And so it's easy for us this morning to possibly look at this passage and just say, well, then Max, all we need to really do is just be a good person and then the fruit that I produce will be good. Or it would be easy to look at this passage in a very prosperity-esque type of way of saying, you know, if I do good, then what I will receive is good too. And what Jesus is saying here is none of those things right here. Because there is a problem with us. See, far too often we believe ourselves to be just a little bit bad, which means that we're just a little bit good, and that we can just kind of control which path we go down, the good path or the bad path. However, God's Word speaks against that. Paul tells us in Romans 3 that no one is righteous, and he picks that up in the Psalms. 
We're also told that all of our works are as if they're filthy rags. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that our heart is deceitful above all things. So what does that tell us about our heart? Well, it tells us that our heart treasures evil. Which means... Our good works, even with the best intentions, are evil. So how do then we produce good fruit? Well, Jesus tells us simply. It's if you treasure good. Jesus and Matthew 13 tells us what this treasure looks like. He says that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And that when that man discovered that treasure, he sold all that he had to buy that field and have that treasure. Jesus goes on in John 14 to say, if, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. See, the difference between what we treasure meaning evil and what we treasure meaning good is that the evil we treasure is ourselves. We love ourselves. You know, I am my biggest fan. (laughs) Far too often. Our evil works want us to be elevated. But what Jesus is calling his listeners to in this passage is to treasure good. Jesus is the treasure. When you love yourself, no matter what it looks like, you will always go out of your way to make yourself look better. So when we are treasuring evil, we are treasuring ourselves. And, and what that looks like is if, if you are putting your treasure in your identity, then you will do everything possible to make sure you look like a cookie, a cookie cutter person. You'll, you'll hide the things you don't want people to know. You'll let the, the things that you want people to know be known. If you're treasuring your your work, then you'll do anything possible to get ahead in your work. If you're treasuring your money, then, then you'll steal and cheat in order to get more money. When you treasure yourself, the the evil works that Jesus is talking about are, are the things that he absolutely abhors. Selfishness, pride. But when we treasure the good, when we treasure Jesus, good naturally overflows out of our hearts. So when I'm at work and I'm treasuring Jesus, I know that my identity isn't in my work, but it's in Jesus. And so whether I get that promotion or I don't get that promotion, it doesn't matter anymore. If I'm putting my treasure in Jesus, 
then my identity is in him. It's, it's not in me as an individual. I know where I stand. I'm a child of God. And so what Jesus is doing is he's calling his listeners to bear good fruit by what they treasure. I mean, it's, it's like when you start to fall in love, right? When you see a couple start to fall in love, you, you normally see a, a one person ask, hey, can you get this for me or can you do this for me, right? If Shree's while we started to fall in love would have asked me, Max, I really want a giraffe. If she just would have mentioned that, I probably would have been on a flight to Africa figuring out how to get a giraffe back. Now if you were to ask me, I probably would, I'd love her even more now and I would just send her to Africa and have her figure it all out. Now that illustration kind of falls a little bit short, right? Because as soon as we start treasuring something more than Jesus, we start to figure out that that thing's imperfect and doesn't satisfy us. But when you are madly in love with somebody, you go out of your way to bear good fruit. When you treasure something, you go out of your way to bear fruit. The fruit you produce reveals the treasure that's in your heart. That's part of why Jesus is saying here at at the end, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Jesus is saying that your mouth speaks on what you love. And so you want to know what you love? Ask yourself what dominates your conversations. Is it your kids? Your work? Your struggles? Your money? Is it a certain football team? Hunting? talking about other people behind their backs? You want to know where your treasure lies? Take some time and ask yourself, what dominates my conversations? Because when the doctor, when you're in the doctor's office waiting for that news, where your treasure lies is how you're going to respond. Because when anxiousness comes while you're sitting there waiting for the doctor to call you or waiting for the doctor to come back in, where does that anxiousness lead you? Does it cause you to ponder and think about the sovereignty of God? That despite my circumstances and situation that I I believe in a God who is in control, Or do your treasures take you starting to think about how you can control the situation? Good fruit is produced by good treasure. And yes, even in situations that seem like it is the worst possible situation that you could ever face in this life, God still uses situations like those to bear good fruit.
However, you can't just muster up bearing good fruit on your own. It's impossible. This is why Jesus in verses 46 through 49 is calling his listeners to make a decision. And he starts off in one of the the most, I think, glorious ways a preacher can, can call his listeners to. I think what Jesus is doing here is is kind of insane, but the most loving thing that he could possibly do because he starts off asking them, who is really your Lord? As he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? Right now, he's calling out the fakes. He's calling out the posers. There have been people who, who were following him and went so far as even to call him not just Lord, but Lord, Lord, adding emphasis behind it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? See, Jesus is adding this emphasis here because there were people who were following him, calling him Lord, Lord, yet never doing what he was telling them to do. Could he really be their Lord if they were calling him Lord, Lord, but never doing what he said? I mean, this is what James is trying to tease out in James chapter 2, that your, your faith leads to works. And if you have faith, but you don't have works, then you don't really have faith. And so does this explain where you're at this morning? Where you come to hear about the good teacher? And then you leave never actually obeying what he has commanded you to do? I mean, let's just ask this question here. Can these people truly believe that Jesus is their Lord, Lord, if they do not actually obey him? They can't. Just like if you call Jesus your Lord, Lord, and never actually obey Him, you cannot call Him your Lord. Because He is not actually the treasure of your heart. And so Jesus then sets before them two decisions. says this starting in verse 47 everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them I will show you what he is like he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock and when a flood arose the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built this is the the first person The first person, he comes to Jesus. They they come to Jesus, they, they hear Jesus, and they leave obeying Jesus. He uses this illustration of a a person looking for somewhere to build a house. But instead of just putting up the, the house, what they do is they dig down deep, find the rock, build their house on that foundation so that when the flood comes, the house is not shaken. 
But the second person in verse 49, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And so the second person does this, two of the same things that the first person does. They come, they hear, and they leave never obeying. And what Jesus is saying is that person then is like, like another person building a house next to this stream. But instead of digging down deep and finding that rock, what they do is they just set up their house and when the flood comes, there's a devastation. Jesus leaves no room to believe that the house could even maybe withstand the flood. He says, immediately when the flood comes, the house falls. And the ruin and devastation of that house is great. Jesus is giving his listeners these two options. He's, he's saying that the, the houses are the people. The foundation is, is me, the, the rock, or the sand, your own good works. And he's saying the flood is the judgment that is to come. He's making a connection back to the flood in Genesis. He's calling his listeners to build their house on the rock. Because when the flood comes, if your house is built on the sinking sand, it will immediately fall and devastation will happen. When we build our house out of our believing that our own good works are enough, the flood of judgment will come and we will be sadly mistaken. But if we dig deep for the foundation of the rock and we put our trust in the rock, when the flood comes, our house will not be shaken. You know, this, this was a, a, a revelation for me as I've been walking through, um, as I've been walking with God. You see, at first I thought it was just obedience. That's all it is, is I just need to obey. I just do it because growing up, that's what I was taught to do, so I just do it. And it was solely that. But then God started softening my heart to His Word and He started showing me. And I wonder if, if maybe you're in, in line with, with where I'm at, but He started to show me that my obedience flows out of my love for Him. See, but then another thing started happening. You know, I, I started to believe this, this idea of, well, now, now I'm, a, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, so that means I can just wild out and do whatever I want to, and, and there won't be really any consequences. But that's not true, because what Jesus is telling his listeners is that your love for him leads to obedience. Right, if my obedience is separated from my love for Him, then when I read the Word, 
when I pray, when I show, to church, show up to church gatherings, when I sing songs, I'm doing it for no other reason than just doing it. And that's not what Christ has called us to do. See, on the other side of that, if my love for Jesus doesn't lead to obedience, then I'm merely and only just really looking at him as a good teacher. I might want to implement that. I might take that from this. See, we cannot separate the two. Where you build your foundation leads to the good fruit. And so, where have you built your foundation? On the rock? God is referred to the rock of ages. It's not moved. And he's not shaken. Or have you built your house on the sinking sand? Where when that flood comes, one by one, the sand starts to move and your house will immediately fall. You cannot separate obedience and love. You cannot. Where's your foundation? See, the reason why you cannot separate obedience and love is because Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, at the end, he actually warns everyone who's in attendance. He even says that there will be many who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we did this and this and this great thing and that great thing. And Jesus' response to them will be, depart from me. I never knew you. Our obedience to Jesus flows out of our love for Jesus. Because when that flood of judgment comes, we know that our eternity is secured in the rock who stabilizes us. The gospel is this. Jesus, this is what Jesus is doing. She's sharing the gospel with them right now. He's telling them, look, your, your good works, it doesn't add up. Adam and Eve, they were your representatives and they sinned and fell short and caused separation between me and you. And because of that, the flood of judgment is coming one day. But the father and son had made a covenant that the son would come down and live a perfect life. Taking the sins of the world so that all those that believe in him could have the free gift of eternal life. And so Jesus is calling them, if you put your trust in the rock, when the flood comes, you will not be swept away. And this is the, the free gift that's still extended today. And so what we really need to do is ask the question, where is my foundation? Where is it really? Have I been just believing in my obedience that makes me a Christian? Or do I believe that I have set my foundation on the rock? 
You know, we, we view the gospel. I'm a real firm believer that when we assume the gospel, we lose the gospel. And I think we've started to assume the gospel in, in our generation. I think it's easy to come and, and say, no, the gospel is, you know, if I just work really hard and I obey, then I'm accepted by God. But that's not the gospel. The, the gospel isn't, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by Him. But on the other hand, the, the gospel isn't, well, I'm accepted so I can just do whatever I want to. No, the gospel is, I'm infinitely loved more than I could ever imagine. And so I obey because I love back. Where is your foundation? What does your fruit show? Does it show that you're trusting in Christ? You're treasuring Christ? Or the things of this world? Put your hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you asking that you would stir us to a deeper love deeper obedience. That our obedience in you would come from an overflowing amount of love in you. Please, Father, continue to soften our hearts to your word. We thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to take our place, to die for our sin to raise again three days later victoriously so that all of us who have trusted and who will trust in your Son can have you as our own. It's in your Son Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. One more time.